Um, after talking with some others last night, I realized that some of these people don't even know who I am. I should have maybe made an introduction of myself. I guess I coming here, I assume that everybody knows who I am, but there's a problem. I don't need to wait till the youth come in so they hear this too, because they don't know who I am. <laughs> so my name's Aiden Stoltzfus. I'm the son of Wilmer and Lydia from here, and a brother to Dave, who is um, one of the ministers here. So um, it is good to connect with family and to, be, uh, to feel like I belong here, even though I don't live here anymore. And it is a joy to have a heritage like this. It really has been an enriching part of my life. Well, this evening, we're going to look at the relationship part of Bible study, uh, Bible reading and study, and that has to do with connecting with God. And this kind of is the first step in studying and reading the Bible. Um, it's the part that I have to work on the most, or that I'm the weakest in. And I, I suspect that there are others who deal with this as well. Um, tomorrow night we want to talk more about the intellectual aspect, or the, the work that falls to us as Christians, the stewardship and responsibility of interpreting the Word of God. And that's, um, I can connect with that, maybe it's just my personality, maybe, I'm not sure what it is, uh, that kind of steers me more in that direction. So I have to work personally on this relationship aspect, and that is recognizing that the Bible has something to say to me, and God speaks through his spirit, through the word, into my life to tell me what's going on uh, when I read it, or what it means when I read it. So this is where study begins, and when you sit down in your chair or by your desk, and you open your Bible, and you begin to read Remind yourself that it's like a conversation that you're having. Uh, you're opening your study with um, seeking the face of God right away. Take a moment to pray. Is that so hard? Do you do this? Or I have to study my Sunday school lesson. I've got to figure this out right now. And you know, I, I know how that is. <laughs> and you forget to pray. You forget who, what this is that you're looking at and who it is that you're learning from here after all. So take a moment to pray. It doesn't take long. Uh, take a few minutes to meditate and to think about uh, this passage when, as you're reading it. Maybe five minutes or ten minutes. Is that so hard? People seem to have no trouble devoting those amounts of time to social media or news or other things like that today. So is it really so hard just to um, pray and meditate for a few moments when you begin to study? I think that this is crucial to getting a really good um, sound interpretation of the biblical passage that we're looking at because it opens us to the source of the text. In Luke 11, Jesus, and you might open your Bibles there if you have them with you, Jesus was trying to teach his disciples to pray. And he told them some stories. And he told them the story about a man who needed bread and had company and he went to his neighbor. It was late in the evening, and his neighbor was upset. And he said, please, 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 just give me some bread. And, and he begged him until he gave it to him. And so Jesus was saying, this is how you need to do with me. Just ask. Just ask. And this is what praying means. We use this term praying in our religious life, but not in other parts of life, even though longer ago in the English world, and still sometimes today in legal documents, the word pray is used. It means ask. Ask. Just ask. 
So when you pray to God, you're asking him um, for a blessing, for bread, for whatever it might be, whatever you think you need. Wisdom, like Solomon did, um, ask him. So what we want to focus on here is the asking part that we do and the, rece- the giving part that God does. All right, that's the two way. It's like a conversation. And uh, I, I'm not personally famous for being a good communicator. And so um, probably some of you wives know what that's like. You're trying to communicate with your husbands, and they return with monosyllables and grunts of various types and don't really give you what you're looking for. And my, my wife likes to communicate with me when I'm brushing my teeth. Well, I'm bad enough at communicating. If I have a toothbrush in my mouth, what shape does that put me in? So, um, maybe more different noises, right? <laughs> well, maybe we're a little that way sometimes with God. We're busy. We've got to keep moving here. We've got this thing to study, right? And he wants to tell us something. <laughs> so, ask him. Communicate with him in prayer and meditation. Uh, so, in, in verse 9 of Luke 11 here, he said, Ask and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. That's a promise. And he goes on to say that everyone that asks receives, and he that seeks finds, and him that knocks will have the door open to him. So those are promises that he gives. In John 15, Jesus told his disciples, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Ask. All right, just ask. You want the Holy Spirit? You want wisdom? You want insight into a scripture? Just ask, and God will give it to you. And you need to do your part, of course, to receive. You need to be open to receive, but first of all, you need to ask. Thank you. Yes. Amen. Yep. Mm -hmm. In English, anyway, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> but very good. There's a pursuit. There's a direction there. And so when you ask, that's a verbal thing. When you seek, it's like a visual or a, a moving in a certain direction. And when you knock, then you take action and you go after something. Yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. It takes more effort. You pursue it. Thank you, Aaron. So in, in conversation, you have listening and you have speaking, right? You have, and in this case, listening and asking. There's two, two directions going here. So when we pray, um, maybe we have kind of a routine of prayer. If we pray, um, we kind of go through a row and then amen, we're done. And meditation and um, Maybe even in prayer, I think there's a point where we need to also listen. We need to be aware of what God wants to say to us. So how does God give us this wisdom? How does he talk to us? How does he speak to us when we're, especially in regards to our study, when we're trying to study the Bible, when we're trying to learn what the meaning of the text is and how it applies to us today? Well, and I think meditation is important here too. And I want to just emphasize here that I'm not talking about the kind of meditation that's in popular uh, culture today. It's kind of borrowed from the Hindus, I think, or from Eastern religions, where there's an emptying of the mind, not that kind of meditation. I'm talking about a centering or a focusing, rather, where other things are um, set aside for a while, and you focus on what's before you, and you fill your mind as much as you can with that. 
Now, we are limited, of course. Our minds are uh, mysterious things, and uh, some of us are more distracted than others, and some of us, you know, we really can't go very far with this. We can't do it 100%, but we, we can try. We can uh, build on our meditation skills in meditating on God's Word. So it, maybe it's kind of like driving. When, when you're driving down the road, you really need to pay attention to what you're doing, right? And driver inattention is one of the leading causes, the leading cause of accidents and fatalities in this nation, mostly because they're looking at their cell phones. Uh, I think that's now the number one cause. So don't do that when you're, when you're meditating. Don't look at your cell phone or other things when you're meditating. You look at what's before you. Now, maybe some of you read your Bible on your phone. I don't know. But you know what I mean. Don't get distracted. And there's tunnel vision, and then there's peripheral vision. The tunnel vision is what you're looking at when you're going down the road. It's, it's what's in direct focus. And the peripheral vision, you see that stuff too. Almost more than, you know, more than 180 degrees, I think. And if a car comes up beside you, you kind of see it in your side vision. Uh, that's, that's peripheral vision. So in our minds, we have that too. We have things that we're focusing on, and there's other things that are kind of busy off to the side. And those, those areas of our minds need to also be filled, if, if we can, with what's before us. I don't know how you're going to do this, um, sitting in your chair, going down the road, um, working at something routine or, or, or a regular, something that doesn't require much other thought, maybe. Now, I just told you you should be paying attention when you're driving, so maybe not when you're driving. But... Um, Find a way to do a meditation on Scripture. I think this is really helpful in listening to God. And because what we're doing is we're reading the text and then we're thinking about it. That's, that's all it is. Reading the text and then thinking about it. And you can do that. Uh, you know, David said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might, sin, I might not sin against thee. That's something you can do as you go because you've memorized it. You remember a phrase or a verse or maybe even a passage. Um, or maybe even a chapter. I don't know how, you, how much you memorize. But uh, those are things that can come to us as we go. And it's like a cow chewing its cut. It comes back and back in your mind again and again. And uh, that's meditation. You're thinking on it, thinking it over. And it's in those moments that God's spirit can reveal to us things or help sharpen our minds to receive the truth. Reading and meditation take a lot of discipline. And I would encourage you to develop a love of reading if you don't have that already, especially reading the Bible. Um, you can force yourself into it, kind of, uh, but it only goes about so far. And if you don't really love reading the Bible, there again, ask. Uh, ask God to help you love reading it and to help you love his word and the study of it. And you might be surprised what will happen if, you're, if you ask earnestly. And then, then there's our part that we have to do, uh, various techniques for mind control. I'm not trying to be a new ager here, all right? But there's a lot of things we can do to train our minds to think um, along certain channels and to, to be productive thinkers. And um, what's it called? Psychology, I guess, uh, talks about how neurological um, uh, parts of the brain, photons, whatever they are, proteins, how these things fire around and, and make connections and help us to think. The physical aspect of thinking, which is really, really a difficult science. 
Uh, and it's fascinating, too. And they say that there are pathways that develop in your brain. Uh, so that, that's how you get good at things. When you do something the first time, you're kind of clumsy. And then after you do it a bunch of times, then it gets easier. And once you're doing it for 10 years, it's just effortless. Uh, that's because your brain gets trained to think a certain way. And you can do this in your thought patterns. If you think about something over and over, or if you think in a certain way, you can train your brain to think better, and you can train yourself into good habits. This is something you can resolve to do. It's something you can work on. And habits can form, and after habits form, there's lifestyles that develop and, and uh, values that get built in your life, and eventually a destiny gets reached. So these things, small things add up and become very important in your life. So you have your part to do as well in learning how to pray and meditate in Bible study. And I would say, too, it's not just something you start your study with, but it's something that you remain prayerful about as you go through your study, even after you get into the technique and the mechanics of it. There's also the, the, the idea of reading a lot versus reading a little. Now, Say you're a Sunday school teacher and you have a passage in front of you. That's a relatively small portion of Scripture. So you're not going to be doing volume reading at that point. If you read through the Bible in a year or twice a year, maybe. I had a friend who read through it four times a year, and that's volume. And that's like washing your hands at the sink with a lot of water. <laughs> and you, you all wash your hands. You know what this is like. Do you ever look down the drain and you think, hmm, all that water went to waste? Well, no, you don't really think that way. So volume is okay. Volume is good. It's good to read a lot of scripture. It's not like you're losing uh, something by reading fast and not getting everything. It's okay to do that. But when we study, it requires drinking. So if you take a bath, that's going to help your body. But drinking is going to help your body too, but in a different way. So when you, do, when you do a small portion of scripture, it's like taking a drink. Uh, a smaller, just a cupful, maybe. And it helps you more directly and in a more targeted way than, say, washing your hands or taking a shower would. And so that, that's why, yeah, we need to do this. We need to do both, I think. We need to do volume reading and careful study. But the direction we're going to head here is in the direction of careful study. You must drink. You must drink it. Um, the next area is uh, the relationship between uh, what the Spirit does and, how, and where we arrive at when we get interpretation. What does the Spirit do in this whole thing? The Spirit uh, illuminates, I think is a word that's good to use here. Illumination sheds light on, on uh, our, uh, the passage that before us, opens our mind, it just shines a light on things. Um, 1 Corinthians 2, again, I'm going to ask you to turn to this. This is a significant passage in talking about the Holy Spirit's role in the life of the Christian. At the end of the chapter, well, Paul is talking here about uh, his preaching and how that it seemed that when he preached, he could do about so much, and then the Spirit of God did the rest. The Spirit of God did the revealing and the opening of the mind, and there's a lot of people where it kind of rolled off. The water kind of rolled off like off a duck's back or something. It never made any, uh, it never went anywhere. Or like the sower that sowed by the roadside. And it's, it, there was no tilled soil there, so the seed did not grow. Um, but for those who heard it, 
Um, verse 14, he says, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, and yet he himself is judged of no man. Uh, especially verse 14, that contrast between the natural mind and the spiritual mind. The Spirit of God shines a light on someone who is actually asking and is pursuing, is following this path of seeking and knocking. And so I think that we can see from passages like this that um, the Holy Spirit does his work as we ask and as we pursue. We need to to go that direction, or else it's probably not going to happen. Um, also in 1 John 2 uh, there's a verse that I want to read and in verse 27 uh, this is a little hard to understand maybe the King James but I'll read it but the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you and ye need not that any man teach you but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things and is truth and is no lie even as it hath taught you, you shall abide in him. So maybe you can get that. But basically what he's saying there, if I can condense that, is that the Spirit's, the Spirit's illumination or the Spirit's work in the mind of the believer is essential to receiving truth and abiding in Christ. You have to have the Spirit's work there to do the, the rest of it. So there are a lot of people who study the Bible uh, in secular schools, say, for instance, Seminaries, and sometimes they're more aptly called cemeteries uh, for faith because they, people lose to go there and lose young men, go there to train for the ministry, and they come out atheists, and that's unfortunate. But there's a, lot, there's a lot of people in those schools who study the Bible, and, and they don't believe it. They can answer almost any question for you about the Bible, and they can tell you this is what it means, but they themselves don't live it or practice it. They don't believe it. How does that happen? So what we're talking about here is not just arriving at an interpretation, but something that actually works in the life of the believer, that grows in your heart and brings forth fruit. And so for those people, it's not working. They can tell you the intellectual aspect of it, but there's no relationship there. And we had a man in our church a few weeks ago that told us in our ministry that we do in the community, you can't do anything unless you have that relationship in place. That needs to be there. The relationship with God is foundational to your ministry. And I would say the same goes for our Bible study. If we're going to study the Bible effectively and get something that we can use, that we can grow thereby, then we're going to have to have a relationship with God. And the Spirit has to be there to illuminate the way. So unbelievers can understand to a degree, but they cannot really receive as Jesus promised. Asking you shall receive, they're not really receiving. The first premise the Bible study is faith. Yes. So if a person pushes the understanding, he may be left without really getting it. Because if the faith isn't there to believe God and to believe what he said, mm-hmm. That's right. We may be, and there is a capacity to believe and receive by faith without fully understanding. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, there's not a complete understanding there if it's not received in faith. I think that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Understanding is not a prerequisite in order to receive illumination and to have faith. Yeah, so it's it's in that process that understanding comes when we pursue it and allow the Spirit to illuminate the text. So let's look at some things about what the Spirit does for us, and maybe um, what He doesn't do for us. Um. I think that it's correct to say that the Spirit does not bridge the cultural and historical gaps in our understanding. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. When we look at the, when we, when we, let's say Andy, the superintendent, sends me an email saying, we're going to have Bible, uh, Bible school here at 7 o'clock each evening, and, and, you know, he gives me some of the details. I understand it because it's in my language, in my time, and from someone I know, it's, it's immediately relevant to me. But if somebody from half a world away and a thousand years back sends me a message, if I get a message in the bottle from the sea maybe or something like that, I'm going to have to do some work here. Now, wait a minute. Um, this is hard. It's a different language. Oh, I've got to translate this. Or, you know, make, what's his idiom that he's using here about something? And we understand each other in our day. But longer ago, when we read the Bible, we're looking at things that happened long ago, uh, different cultures, different times, different technology, different just about everything, different religions, and, and there are huge gaps there. And we have to bridge those gaps somehow in our Bible study. And I think that we're responsible for that. I don't think this, that we can just sit in our chair and the Spirit's going to say, uh-uh, here it is, and I'll zap it right into your brain. We have to figure it out. And thank God for the people who have done all that work to help us along. There are, a lot, there are a lot of good resources to help us out. And I think that it is possible with work, some good hermeneutical work, to, make, um, uh, to, make those, to bridge those gaps at least largely. I want to give you an example, a few examples from the Bible. In Nehemiah chapter 8, when they returned from the captivity, the Jews had changed. They, had, they were in Babylon for. 70 years, and it was a different group of people. They still had their faith, um, but they didn't, it was different. They, were, they weren't even familiar with Jerusalem anymore. It was all hearsay that they had heard from previous generations, and they didn't really have the book of the law uh, very available to them. So when they got back and they built the temple, Ezra takes out the scroll. Well, it was in Hebrew. <laughs> they spoke Aramaic. He had to bridge the gaps for them. He had to say, here's what the law means. And, and he, he did that very well. He was a preacher of righteousness for them. He told them what the law meant. He helped bridge the cultural historical gaps for them, even though it was only 70 years. And we have much bigger gaps to deal with. So uh, Jesus did that too. When, uh, say, in Matthew 5, he did a lot of preaching to his disciples or explaining things uh, to his disciples. He said, um, ye have heard it was said by them of old time this, and then he said, now I say unto you this. And he was bridging a gap for them because they were trying to understand who he was and what his mission was and how he's changing things here. What is he changing? What's he talking about? So he was bridging the gaps for them. He was doing that for them and helping. Uh, to, you know, that's what we need to do for each other and for ourselves many times. 
Um, Jesus also did this uh, on the road to Emmaus. Remember the disciples that he met and they're talking to each other. What's going on here? I just can't believe that Jesus got killed like this. And here he was talking to them. And, and then he started telling them all about the prophets and all of this stuff lines up. And you people don't understand. This all comes together. And then when he broke bread with them in the house, it says their eyes were open. There's a spiritual illumination that happened. And he bridged the gap for them. Jesus did that for them as a man, explained it in their language. And so I don't think the Spirit's going to necessarily do that for us. We have to bridge those gaps. Meaning is revealed after some of that hermeneutical work is done. We have to work. Yeah, we have to work. Huh? And, and we come from a culture that almost believes that. Knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> now, we also know the world has created counterfeit knowledge. But yeah. Christ, for God, is the proper knowledge. Yes. Yeah, we have to seek out the right kind of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Also, I think that this, it's correct to say that the Spirit's illumination in our study doesn't necessarily guarantee a comprehensively accurate interpretation. That is, that we're going to get the whole picture from A to Z. Every detail is going to be filled in. It might not guarantee that. But he can, the Spirit can take us on the path toward the proper interpretation. And we can always learn more. We never come to the point where we say, okay, this is the proper interpretation. This is 100% of it. And we have no further to go. There's nowhere else to, um, to build on this. So that does, that spirits, the Spirit's work doesn't mean that, that we're going to get a comprehensive interpretation necessarily, but we're going to get enough that we need, just what we need, at least the basic message I think we could say we can learn from the Spirit's illumination. <clears throat> I, and I think uh, what the Spirit does do is the Spirit drives us to study Scripture. The Spirit creates a hunger and a motivation in our hearts to read the Word. How many times have you heard stories of people that said, yeah, I was in this situation, and suddenly a scripture came to me, and I just wanted to look that up again. And that's what the Spirit does. He convicts the world of sin and right, um, judgment, and 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 I think in the life of the believer too, he does that. He drives us to study the scripture. He kind of pushes us. First um, Peter two. I'll read that scripture just kind of as a. Um, help for us in that idea. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow, by, grow thereby. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. That verse 3 is kind of the condition there. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. There's, a, there's something that you've gained and then and then you want to learn more. You want to have more. You want to drink more. Uh, that, that's something that the Spirit can do for us. I think also that the, the Spirit helps us to discern specific applications. When the time for application comes, once we've done the studying work, hopefully. Um, how do we apply this to our lives or in our situation or to the, the decision I'm making? I have to think of David in Psalm 119. He talked a lot about God's word here, um, God's laws, and described it, uh, especially in Psalm 119. Very good. I can find this here quickly. 
Uh, verse 9, it says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. In verse 11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So there's a purpose for the word to be there, for the spirit to be doing his work. And that is when a situation comes up, when you need to purify your way or whatever, that there's a, there's a, there's a moment there where the spirit kind of unlocks the door, or opens, uh, turns a key and, and lets you see something. Um, that helps you to make a specific application. There are other things that are necessary too, I think. Uh, in prayer and meditation and in this relationship thing, and I think we need to have a love relationship with God. We really need that. We need to have a commitment to follow. Like Aaron said, we need to have that faith there. That needs to be in place. Uh, if not, then there probably isn't going to be a lot of uh, spiritual illumination or guidance given. We also, I think, need to have a good logical foundation. We need to learn, learn how to think in, with a logical sequence. Um, I don't want to put too much weight on this, but just a basic understanding of moral rights and wrongs is going to help us a lot. When we, and there are people who, who come to the study of the scriptures with maybe, not, maybe trying to avoid using logic or reason. And there are dangers there, to be sure. I'll talk more about that tomorrow evening. Uh, but I think that learning to think logically is very helpful when we're studying scriptures and in this relationship aspect of God that we have with God. There's also a, there needs to be in place a commitment to the truth of Scripture. Hebrews eleven six says, "He that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him." Um, you have to believe that God is there. That needs to be taken for granted kind of in our, in our process of having a relationship with God. You can't manufacture this on your own. You need to believe that he's there and you need to uh, hear from him. You, you need to re realize that he's helping you. He rewards you. You also need to be open-minded enough to hear from him, uh, willing to lay aside any kind of crippling biases or presuppositions. Uh, this often is the case for people who come from other types of backgrounds, maybe atheism or something, and They've been taught other things all their lives, and it's very difficult for them to lay those things aside. Now, I don't know how it is for, for sure for all of us. Maybe we struggle with those things too. Maybe we have other biases and presuppositions that we need to lay aside. Um, so be open-minded enough to hear from him. Sometimes when we're communicating with each other, we don't really listen to the other person because we're forming our next response, right? <laughs> So we're getting ready to say the next thing and trying to figure out what the right way is to say it, and we don't really hear what they're saying, especially if the argument becomes more heated. That's often the case. So uh, we need to learn to listen. And in order to listen, you have to, uh, you have to think about the other person. And, and so in this relationship, we do have to think about God. Think about what he's thinking, maybe, if you can. And think about what it must be like to speak from his perspective to this little worm here on the earth. Um, be open-minded enough to hear. So that needs to be in place as well. Okay, I think that sums it up. Tomorrow evening, like I said, we want to talk about uh, what we need to do, our responsibility in interpreting Scripture, how we need to go about this, uh, mistakes that we can avoid maybe, so, such forth. So we'll see you then. <laughs>